0: You know, I was making them uh, my mom's kitchen and shipping fulfilling orders. And I was sitting there and I was like, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? Um, I thought, yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But at the time, there's no doubt I, I did not like that.
1: This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to The Entrepreneur House Podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today on the episode, we have an author and founder of Green Belly, Chris Cage, on the show. Chris is a master trekker and entrepreneur creating a business around his passion and what he loves to do. After quitting his accounting job, he went on a 10,000 mile backpacking trip through Asia, a 3,000 mile bike tour of New Zealand, and a 6 month, 2,185 mile hiking trek along the Appalachian Trail. What he noticed during his travels is that nutrition is a constant struggle for extreme adventurers like Chris, so he created a business that helps eliminate that problem, thus Greenbelly. Greenbelly creates trekking and backpacking food packages using whole foods to feed the adventurers of the world, the most nutritious, ready-to-eat meal on the planet. So without further ado, let me welcome Chris Cades to the show. How you doing, Chris?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks for the intro, Chris. That was fantastic. Made me feel so special.
1: <laughs> well, you're calling in from Guatemala today. You're the first person on the podcast that called from Guatemala. What's it like down there? Woohoo! Um...
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's great. I'm in Lake Atitlan, which is um, yeah, it's like three hours from uh, the kind of the tourist hub, of Antigua. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's actually in Santa Cruz right now, and yeah, it's it's just it's just gorgeous. It's like um, very very moderate weather. It's like high of seventy five in the day and maybe low of sixty five at night. It's just yeah, and it doesn't rain
1: at all. It's gorgeous. And what inspired you to go move down to Guatemala? Uh,
0: I don't know. I think you like um, kind of bebopping around. I know you bebop around a decent amount, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did, did Thailand for basically all of last year. did a few side trips. Um, and prior to that, I've done some South America, Peru and Ecuador and um, Colombia. And um, it's just so convenient to hop down here. I'm from Georgia, so it's really easy to hop Guatemala versus Thailand or Asia. Um, so, yeah, and Guatemala is a South American country that hadn't been to um and did some research on it there's just a ton of you know green space here um so it's really easy to just uh, you know like just even get to a restaurant here you've basically got to go for a mini hike which is which is awesome um but yeah I and mean, just kind of headed head down here came, came down here check it out
1: cool how long are you staying
0: uh not really sure you know they give you a 90-day visa on arrival so that uh i need to leave on may
1: may 1st but
0: um I don't know. My girlfriend and I have been talking about going to um, Mexico and renewing the visa. Um, may go on to Europe though. Just, just not sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like it right now.
1: <laughs> I love how nonchalant you are about this. You know, we're just bebopping around. That we go to Guatemala <laughs> from Thailand. You bebop around too. It's a lot of bebopping.
0: <laughs> you do. I mean, you're you're in Brazil right now, aren't you?
1: I, I'm in America, but I'm gonna bebop down to Brazil next week and be there for six weeks. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, let's talk business, man. Actually, let's talk, uh, let's get to know you as the world traveling adventurer that you are. You know, I've known you for, well, a little over a year now, but I really didn't know that you've been on that many adventures. I knew you had done the AT, the Appalachian Trail, but not, I didn't know about New Zealand and your trip through Asia that you took. Asia. Yeah. Yeah so, yeah. so let's talk about, you know, kind of how you got your start
0: so I guess it was 2011, 2012, something like that. I graduated in 2010 from college. Had the accounting major. um, Was doing that in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, yeah, I was liking it. Um, It just didn't seem too too fulfilling. Uh, And I think the idea of doing the Appalachian Trail specifically had been something I'd I'd wanted to do from like my Boy Scout days. Um, You know, we being in Georgia and Boy Scouts, we went on, you know, a lot of kind of weekend trips up on the Appalachian Trail. And um, yeah, it really intrigued me as as a kid. And I knew um, just a couple years into the accounting job, I was kind of like, you know, there aren't really too many opportunities you can take off a year or six months of your life to go um, and hike it, you know, it's like, and certainly if you have kids and a mortgage and all that, your 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 window of opportunity it diminishes quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think I really just kind of made a you know, decision to go um, do the AT. Um, so I saved up some money for maybe six months, uh, and, you know, I had tech on, tech on top of the AT. I wanted to do um, check out Asia, maybe teach English. I was really thinking about Lord of the Rings. You know, Lord of the Rings, I think, <laughs> was, like, the biggest selling poster for New Zealand um, you know but I I was I was a victim of that too I was like oh man that, that landscape just looks so amazing so I wanted to go check out New Zealand and um, yeah ordered a bike or got a bike on Craigslist in Alabama and uh, boxed it up shipped it to New Zealand and um, basically rode my bicycle down the length of New Zealand and kind of camped out um, along the way you know pretty much every night I just kind of pull off on the you know, in some sort of valley or near a mountain or something and just kind of throw my tent up, um, and camp out. And I did that for, uh, about three, three months, um, until I got from, you know, the, the top of the North Island to the Southern tip of the South Island. Um, yeah, and I think on that trip, I was really burning a ton of calories, man. It was like, you know, a hundred miles a day on the bike. Um, and I was hauling a bunch of stuff and it really was just taking a lot out of me, um, so there was, a, there was a product actually there that was a high-calorie uh, kind of meal in itself, and I was just chomping those down like crazy. You know, we were eating like um, just basically drinking honey and eating peanut butter and just trying to, you know, not turn into skin and bones while we're, um, you know, doing 100-mile bike rides every day. Um, yeah, and so I came back after New Zealand, and on top of that, I mean, I did some stuff in Asia. I did like, you know, teaching English and uh, volunteering at an orphanage and, uh traveling around Thailand and China and all that kind of stuff. But that was much more of a kind of backpacking hostel kind of thing. I wasn't doing too much, um, hiking or bicycling over there. Um, but after the kind of international Asia and New Zealand came back to the States and it was time for the Appalachian trail, um, which I don't know if any, how familiar any listeners are with the AT, but it's, um, it goes from, uh, Georgia to Maine. Uh, which goes through 13 States, I believe. And, um, Yeah, it's 2,000, over 2,000 miles and takes about six months to walk. So, um, you know, a similar thing to bicycling in New Zealand, it was a lot of caloric burn. Um, Instead of, you know, bicycling 100 miles, it was hiking 20 miles a day, but it was the same kind of lifestyle of carrying all your supplies on your your person, Um, you know, a lot of physical exertion uh, and camping out every night. So it was like The need for simple food um, with dense nutrition was like, (laughs) the demand was very high, Uh, and and I think the products out there were um, not, they were heavily processed, kind of those dehydrated freeze-dried meals, had a lot of of nasty stuff in them, Um, and then the other stuff was, uh, you know, fruit is just perishable, and it's got a lot of water weight, so it's really heavy, Um, and bars got a little monotonous, uh, and bars were also like, um, 200 calories, um, which, you know, to get like to a five or 4,000 calorie diet, you'd have to just be chomping down a ton (laughs) of those things. Um, so yeah, I think the, um, and the AT kind of solidified, you know, the, kind of the desire for something, um, you know, more robust. So yeah, I came back and started working on green belly and, uh, developing a kind of a Dense nutrition, one thirty daily needs into a meal package that's lightweight, ready to eat. Like when you're on the go and you want some big nutrition, you know this is what you this is what you take.
1: What year did you start Green Belly, Chris?
0: Uh, I was to, I guess really started selling like in late 2014. Okay. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I started working on getting a formula down in uh, early mid 2014.
1: Okay, can you tell us about that process of creating a product and then getting it manufactured?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so mind you, I was an accountant and like a, kind of an outdoor bum, so I was not <laughs> like um, somebody ready to take this thing on. But I uh, started kind of thinking, all right, I want—I I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted the end product to be, uh, which was you know that uh, ready-to-eat kind of. 33% of your daily nutrition in this meal, um, and I knew I wanted it to be, you know, natural uh, and not with a bunch of junk in it. Um, so kind of with that idea, I started fiddling around with stuff in my mom's kitchen, and I really started, I mean, I was getting nowhere. I was just making stuff that tasted like crap, and then I was trying to calculate the nutrition on spreadsheets, and like I was way out of whack, and then I started trying to get the nutrition where I wanted it to be, then the flavor profile would go total junk, and, you know, and then all this combined with the fact that you have to get these ingredients to bind together into something it's not going to fall apart, and it has to be shelf stable. So you start getting like really complicated, and the fact that a lot of ingredients react with one another. So certain oils react with different with different compounds, and it's getting way over my head. So I decided to kind of outsource that expertise and um, started trying to find somebody to help make this formula. And the term I kept coming up was food scientist. You need a food scientist to kind of. Um, understand those those um, you know how the, how ingredients bind with one another, nutritional values, and he helped me get the formula um, down. We really sent out a ton of samples to like, uh, you know, I went to like a hiking festival and handed out tons of samples and just got a bunch of feedback. Sent it out to my hiking buddies, really just tried to get something that uh, I thought tasted good um, and checked all those other boxes. Um, yeah, I think that was ready probably in the summer of two thousand fourteen. Um, yeah, that was that was about that timeline. But yeah, it took it took several months to really get something that I felt good about. But um, I couldn't have done it without the help of, food, of a food scientist, and uh, he was also a chef too, so he could help
1: it, you know, taste taste okay. Where'd you find your food scientist? Uh,
0: I did a lot of googling. <laughs> um, I think I ended up ended up finding somebody via a food science website.
1: So you've got. The recipe, so to speak, for some products, and then how'd you go about getting them manufactured and created on a larger level?
0: Sweat and tears, my man. It was just, um, uh, yeah, I had that, the formula down, and I was living at home with my parents. I started just doing the uh, making some at some at home. Uh, I ordered like a, a heat sealer. There you go. And it was like um, you know that would kind of seal the packaging closed. Um, And then did a little bit of PR outreach, just kind of seeing if anybody would bite on this product Uh, and, you know, got some PR, you know, that was like just within the first couple weeks or months of selling Bicycling Magazine, um, had us on their homepage, which was just really cool. Mm. Um, So I got some, got some orders there. And that was kind of in the fall and I was like, all right, I don't really know what I'm doing. I've got some orders coming in, but it's not enough to like live off of. I'm still living at home with my parents. And I started thinking about you know Kickstarter. Kickstarter still is very big. Uh, I think it was it was definitely a little hotter back then a few years ago. Uh, so I started thinking about doing a Kickstarter campaign and started prepping that to launch the early spring of 2015. And I wanted some just cash and cash in my pocket to try to go to a little bit larger facility because uh, there's no way I could you know. Do this out of my parents' house, and you also start running into legal issues of, of you know making stuff out of your product, <laughs> making products out of the out of an out of an uncertified kitchen, and, and so eventually I found a, a facility um, in Kentucky. You know, yeah, so you know did some training with them, and um, yeah, I got the production. Uh, you know, they've been doing it since then. Um, yeah, and it's it's been extremely helpful getting that off my plate. It's you know enabled me to um, not be in the kitchen all day and, and fulfilling orders and kind of the operational side of things.
1: So let me ask you a question. There's so many people outsourcing business abroad and to China these days, it seems like, especially for manufacturing. Did you want to keep this as a domestic product or was it just the first place that you found as a place that could manufacture
0: That's a good question. Uh I didn't even consider international that much. It just seems so I knew that I would have to be fairly hands on, particularly at the start with the facility and like Yeah, I I didn't even know where to begin, like importing food and like quality standards and all that kind of stuff with international. like, so if you, you know, if you made food, let's say in China, I have no idea what their health standards would be and what the implications of that would be in the States, you know, and much less importing and all that kind of stuff. It just seemed like a big, a huge unknown and potentially undertaking. And I, I didn't know about maintaining quality over there. Um, I didn't know if I could source the ingredients, uh, I, I, I just really, it just seemed like way too, way too uh, much of an undertaking to try to outsource it internationally, it just made sense to do it in the States, um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm happy I'm in the States, I like it, uh, it's easy to ship orders directly from the facility, um, I think, if, you know, if we did it internationally, We'd have to ship huge, you know, shipments of green belly at a time to a fulfillment center, and then have the fulfillment center fulfill orders. You know, this way in the states at a smaller facility, they're able to fulfill orders directly from there. Which um, I think that's another huge advantage of um, keeping it uh, at one location is that you don't have that extra in transit from the production facility to a fulfillment facility.
1: What keeps you passionate about this business, Chris?
0: <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> I think it's. Uh, it's two things one is the lifestyle which i think um i mentioned a lot of people i know that you've had on the podcast or are, are, are big on that the whole lifestyle thing um you know, it's just fun like you know like you know if we're talking about going to brazil or going to a different country it's just yeah that's huge being able to to go and do whatever you you want um and in the, the actual what i'm doing now you know i could talk when we first when i first started it was it was heavy operations, you know, I was making them in uh, my mom's kitchen and shipping fulfilling orders and I was sitting there and I was like, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? Um, I thought yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but at the time, there's no doubt, I, I did not like that, you know, it was stressful, <laughs> it was like, I've got I've to get orders in, I've got to make the darn thing and ship it, you know, it's just it was a nightmare. So I think now when you talk about the practical side of, of the job, what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis not only can it be kind of in a unique front location, but its I enjoy the actual work itself. It's much more marketing-based now. Um, you know, talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. This is kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that the business is making money, and I'm able to do marketing, which is really fun. And then on top of the marketing, it's like the industry is backpacking. So you talk about that word passion. It's like I like backpacking, you know, and um, I think there are a few other industries I really like as well that I would be interested in working on. Backpacking was one that, I knew, you know, I, I couldn't go wrong with backpacking. I, you know, I liked it as a kid. The chances are I'll, I'll, I will like it for many more years to come. You know, so staying in this industry, whether it's the businesses we're partnering with, or any kind of content we're putting out, um, our customers we're dealing with, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's hugely beneficial to be in an industry that I like. You know, because when I'm dealing with those people or companies or content it's like oh I, this is me you know it just it just flows a lot more naturally the fact that it is something you know i, I do enjoy um so i think a combination of all that stuff is probably what keeps the, what keeps the passion going
1: now you recently just finished a book about the appalachian trail and can you tell us about the book and the process of creating it
0: yeah that was a pretty uh on a whim honestly um i kind of thought about you know creating with content um content marketing is kind of like the whole idea is to, you know, provide value to somebody who's trying to, you know, find the answer to a problem. Um, and I think, you know, creating backpacking content, it's kind of like, okay, well, a lot of people are going out in the woods and they want to figure out how to do X. Um, you know, maybe that's like, how do you, you know, what's a, how do I make a, a first aid kit for backpacking? You know, so it's like, I mean, there's a ton of content out there and how to, Created first aid kit for backpacking. It was like the Appalachian Trail was kind of like that times ten or times a hundred. It was how do you hike the Appalachian Trail? It's like there, are, you know, so many questions that go into that. Like that people don't know. Um, and I kind of started thinking like this could be a, a fun opportunity to combine the content marketing piece of you know getting a solution to somebody's problem, and then also you know right writing a book about it, you know, which I think was, um, yeah, it was kind of fun. I think, uh, a lot of our, in our kind of entrepreneurial circles, there are a lot of people writing books now. And I think the, um, the barrier to entry to write a book has never been lower. Um, so yeah, I kind of had a little bit of experience with some content marketing and said, you know what, essentially a book is just a massive content post, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, I really just in Chiang Mai probably around the time. Yeah. I saw you in Chiang Mai. In the fall, I was uh, there's a coffee shop there called Bull Bull, um, and I just said, you know what? I'm clearing my calendar Monday through Friday for I think about five weeks. Um, I just did. I operated Green Belly on like Sunday and a few hours, um, and then yeah, I just just cranked it out. Just you know, really spat out words from nine to five every day Monday through Friday for at least a month, um, and then yeah, had 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 really yeah some some words down 40,000 or 50,000 words. And, um, yeah, that was really the mass, the mass book. It was just getting it down. And then, you know, beyond that, it was just technical stuff, getting the cover design, making sure it was formatted. Okay. Getting some people to proofread it, you know, that kind of stuff.
1: So I'm curious, I know it just came out in February, but have you seen any results or increase in sales from the time you launch a book?
0: Uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think sales sales in general in 2017 are definitely going to be better. I can already tell from um, January and February compared to January and February last year. They're they're definitely a lot uh, a lot more than last year. And I can the book I can tell. I mean I have a, a survey set up on the back end saying you know how did you hear about us? And I can tell that a lot of orders did hear about it from the book. So um, yeah, you kind of have a double win. You know, it's some it's a little bit of passive income from the from the book itself, um, and it's promoting Green Belly. Um, and like the idea that, you know, it's kind of like, which I think is a big reason why a lot of people are writing books now, it's you want to kind of, you know, come across as like a uh, an industry knowledge, you know, you're kind of the um, the domain expert, if you will. Um, so I kind of like wanted to kind of build that out more. But yeah, no, so it was a fun project and it's definitely helped push Greenbelly.
1: I want to ask you about something that happened recently with you and I saw on your Facebook page that you got mentioned on Joe Rogan's podcast and and then your, your <laughs> Facebook page seemed to explode after that. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to ask you, one, is it true? And two, can you tell us what they said about you?
0: Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah. We were, I was, I was not on his podcast, but he, he likes green belly. Yeah. He's a customer. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, yeah, he ordered some green belly and I, I guess it, he's been eating it on a few podcasts. Um, <laughs> So I, I think that's pretty much yeah. I think he's been eating it. I know um I haven't he, you know his episodes are like 3 hours long. I tried to listen to a couple um but it's like it's, it's kind of like, you know, where's Waldo. It's like trying to find the little mentions of Green Belly in his in his podcast episodes, but I know one of that, the the uh, the Dominic Cruz one, he talks about Green Belly right at the beginning, but um yeah, yeah, no it's been it's been cool I think uh having having Joe Joe be a fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Did you see a spike in sales after he mentioned you?
0: Uh yeah, again, it's like Sales have been just increasing kind of across the board, mm-hmm. so it's 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 been trying to track where the sales come from, and it's particularly hard finding where sales come from on a podcast because there's no link, you know, there's no way to see where the where the sales came from. But um, yeah, no, yeah, we definitely definitely have gotten sales from from Joe Rogan, no
1: doubt. That's cool, man. Congratulations on that. Thanks, um, Chris. What's the future of Green Belly? <laughs> uh, let's say let's just say uh, five to ten years out
0: man i have no idea for the time being i think or like when i first started getting going it was kind of like um you know there was the whole four-hour work week dream it was can you you know in six months to a year set up something that you know will let you travel and work remotely and it was kind of like okay check that box off it was like okay can you make make sure make sure your business is actually growing and it's not just kind of passive income, it's like, okay, we can check that box now. And now I think it's really, I, I would like to see if, you know, we can really grow Green Belly into, um, yeah, a, a big brand, you know, I think that would be the thing that uh, that I want to do is, is really continue to keep growing Green Belly, but five years down the road, I have no idea. I think, um, who knows, I think there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't mind dabbling into, other other industries, other products, um, but yeah, for the time being, I'm, I'm happy to continue, continue growing Green Belly.
1: What have you learned, Chris? I haven't talked much about this on the podcast, but it seems like you've done a really good job of building this brand so far. So so what are some really key te- takeaways that you've learned about uh, building a brand from this process?
0: Uh, one was uh, definitely some grit. Uh, you, know, you, I think you hear about the The kind of the golden egg entrepreneurs that find something that just explodes. Um, I think like hearing those stories is almost more defeating for me than it was um, encouraging. You know, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, that guy over there started, you know, three to six months ago and is now turning over seven (laughs) figures. It's just like, what the heck? Well, you know, Um, so I think a little bit of that was just, just grit, like just sticking to it, you know, Um, and of course, you know, making sure that things are, things are growing and you are gaining traction, you know, not just wasting your time on something, you know, Um, But I think the the thing for for Greenbelly was you always heard, like, oh, Instagram is huge in 2016, and, like, you need to be doing all Instagram marketing, or SEO is huge in 2015, and you need to be doing all this, and, oh, if you're not on Snapchat, you're – oh, you need to be doing PR outreach. It was like you heard all this stuff on marketing channels and, you know, Facebook ads, and everybody needs to be doing – um, all this stuff, and it was kind of like that's overwhelming, and there's no way that all businesses are going to be able to, to tackle each one uh, well. Um, so, I think one thing was the past couple years running Green Belly was really like throw darts, you know, like see which one sticks. Um, and so, I think to a certain degree, a lot of them failed, um, but to a certain degree, a lot of them did did mediocre or very well so it's like even those mediocre marketing channels like they still bring in revenue um you know so i I don't have you read that book traction or heard of that book traction
1: i've heard of it yeah i have not read it yet though
0: that's like when i read that book it was um i didn't feel like the action there was like much actionable advice but i thought that book did a great job of kind of painting the marketing landscape it was like what are all the options out there? You know, is, is it PR outreach? Is it social media? Is it uh, affiliate marketing? Is it? You know, there are just so many. I think they outline maybe twenty or twenty-five different main marketing channels, and then they kind of give a give a summary on them all. And that book was like, I found it very helpful just kind of seeing the whole landscape in, in one in one picture. You know, and saying, all right, I know this channel won't work. This channel this channel could work. Um, and this channel looks like, I think it would be promising. So yeah, I think that was helpful was just kind of constantly throwing darts. That's been pretty helpful for uh green belly.
1: What do you find, which social media platform do you find has worked best for you guys?
0: Oh, man, I, I would love to tackle on our tackle social media so much more. Like I do nothing with Instagram, barely anything with Twitter. You know, we do very little, anything like that. Um, Facebook and Facebook ads have been great. Uh, been getting extremely cheap traffic of Facebook have been for um, uh, over a year. Uh, yeah, definitely over a year. And the, the the kind of targeting you can get on Facebook is unparalleled. Um, so I think Facebook specifically ads has has been great for um, driving traffic, email capture, conversions, all that kind of stuff.
1: What type of ads do you find are working working for you guys?
0: Um, You know, you talk about, you know, some some channels work for some companies, some channels work for others. You know, I think Facebook ads work for, um, at least what I've seen, is they work for more lifestyle businesses. Um, So backpacking itself is a hobby. Um, So when you think about if you see content or anything like that on, um, on your Facebook, and so if we're targeting backpackers and they see some piece of content coming out about backpacking they're very likely to click, particularly if it's, you know, something good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, but take, take that if you're something more of like, uh, I don't know, let's say you're a furniture business, like, it's hard to get clicks for a Facebook ad about furniture. Like, nobody mm-hmm. wants to, there's no, you know what I mean? There's no lifestyle around that, you know? Mm-hmm. Nobody has a hobby of furniture. So it's like the backpacking thing for, for traffic has been really helpful. Like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in this piece of content um, but I mean, f- specifically types of content. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've had a lot and you know, a lot of different kind of content that's done well on Facebook ads, like um, guides to backpacking tents, backpacking food ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, even directly to our product page, um, we've we've had success, you know, converting directly straight from there. Um, but yeah,
1: Chris, is there any other, Well, one more question: Do you have you used any videos with Facebook ads?
0: No, uh, I want to. You want to help me? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did a, I did a video. I wanted an explainer video for the for the homepage. I did one last year, just or for the product page as well. So, you know, somebody that doesn't know anything about Greenbelly can can hear what it is on our product page. But like, as far as any kind of video content, I think the only thing there would be time. You know, like it sounds like a lot of time. Written content takes a long time, and I don't know enough about video editing myself. I would have to have a really somebody near me, you know, on almost a weekly basis helping create video content. I just couldn't do it, you know, my, myself. And it's like, I don't know practically how I'd be able to do that, you know, um, in Guatemala one month and Mexico another month. You know, finding somebody to help me with some video. Um, but yeah, maybe nice. maybe sometime soon.
1: Well, if you're, if you're hiking to the store and to the restaurant, just have somebody follow you around with your iPhone and take some video and you get some good shots in Guatemala.
0: <laughs> that's that's true. I need some more product down here too. I want some more product shots. I'm, I'm out of Green Valley in Guatemala.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, buddy. Let's wrap up there. I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show, man. You gave us some good wisdom. It was really cool to hear your story uh, one-on-one too. So thanks for sharing and thank you for spending your time with us this morning
0: yeah man thanks for having me chris it was fun
1: and uh listeners we're gonna wrap up there and thanks for joining us once again we'll put all oh one more question chris if the listeners want to reach out to you where's the best place they can do that at
0: chris chris at greenbelly.com
1: we'll put all the links in the show notes check out chris's web page greenbelly check out his book how to hike the appalachian trail And then if you want to touch base with Chris, we'll put his email there too. Again, thank you, Chris, for joining us. Listeners, thank you for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.